This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome to Hour 2 of the program. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Mark Savard stops by head coach of the Windsor Spitfires, former NHLer, um, now uh, handling the career of Shane Wright, who is a member of the Spits. Uh, we'll talk to him. We'll talk to Elliot Friedman in a couple of moments, who uh, was at the Predators' skate a couple of uh, hours ago. Uh, missed the first hour. He'll be with us here now. The second hour kicks off. Speaking of kicking off the second hour, uh, I love this one. And I promise uh, to all of our listeners and viewers, I will not do 20 minutes on it, although this person really deserves a lot more than we're going to give him. It's time, Matty Marchese, for the random player of the day. Who do we have now? Um, someone who, who just left us. Um, and I get chills saying that because he was such a nice man and had a real impact on, oh on hockey. Um and that is Peter McNabb, a longtime Bruin, uh, was also a member of the New Jersey Devils and played uh, university hockey yep. in Denver, where he became the broadcaster for the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, he really did. So who set this one in, Maddie? We should always mention that. Uh, this one was from, I put it in the lineup, and of course I don't have the lineup. So Robert Scow. Thank Hang you, on. Lance. Robert Scout. Robert, thanks for this one. This is a good one. Like, we lost Peter in November at the age of 70 to cancer. Uh, one of the nicest people you will ever meet. I'm going to miss, and I, I mentioned this when he passed away, I'm going to miss, you know, saying to Maddie when we're going to talk about Colorado, and we just did with Peter Baugh, you know, some of the options you always say, hey, man, let's get Peter McNabb. Oh, yeah, let's get Peter McNabb on the show. We can talk to Peter McNabb. Um, as you mentioned, with the Colorado Avalanche, uh, saw them win the Stanley Cup again uh, before he passed away in November, was a tremendous broadcaster, was a tremendous broadcaster helping to uh, introduce hockey to a lot of people in the United States specifically, both in New Jersey and Colorado as well. You, you mentioned that he went to the University of Denver as well. Now, first of all, his father was uh, Max McNabb, who was a great manager, also a great player, won the Stanley Cup with the Detroit Red Wings, played on a line with Gordie Howe and Ted Lindsay. That's a pretty good line. Uh, moving from Vancouver to San Diego, um, he be, he fell in love with, well, he's always a good hockey player, but he really, really fell in love with baseball. Like Peter McNabb was an outstanding athlete. And actually, he went to Denver not on a hockey scholarship, but on a baseball scholarship and ended up making the hockey team. And that was the avenue that he pursued. Now, there's a, there's a couple of things with, with Peter McNabb as far as trivia notes go, little stories you can keep in your hip pocket. And when someone mentions Peter McNabb, you can throw these out. Uh, he was part of that 20-goal club. Um, there were 11 of them on the Boston Bruins, 77-78, setting a record. McNabb that year had 41 goals for the Boston Bruins, just an absolute scorcher of a player. And it was that last game of the season, a game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, that they got a 20-goal score number 11 on the team. But McNabb was part of that. Um, we also think about the 1979 incident where Mike Milbury went up into the stands uh, to confront someone and ended up swinging a shoe at him. Now, that whole thing started at MSG. It was the end of the game. It was the Boston Bruins and the New York Rangers. And someone hit Stan Jonathan of the Boston Bruins with a rolled-up newspaper. And that's when the Bruins players went up into the stands to get the guy. The first one to get up in the stands was Peter McNabb. And if you look, McDab McNabb is actually the person that does more damage. I mean, sure, Milbury pulls off the shoe, swings it at the guy. I didn't even think that he hit him. Maybe he might have clipped him in the thigh, but it wasn't a punishing blow. 
McNabb, McNabb's like, you're not going to swing a rolled up newspaper and, you know, hit him. You're not going to do that to my teammate. McNabb grabs the guy and throws him down. Like the most damaged in the entire incident is, uh, is Peter McNabb, but Mike Milbury with the spectacular visual of pulling a man's shoe off and hitting him with it. Um, the other one that I, that I want to mention as well, and this is, this one stings for Boston Bruins fans, 1979 semifinal Montreal Canadians and the Boston Bruins. This is the infamous too many men on the ice call. So Jean Rattel was the one that alerted the officials to it. Jean Rattel notices that there are six skaters on the ice. This is after Stan Jonathan jumped over the boards and right away body checked Mark Napier. So it's a too many men on the ice call. Uh, you can just see like Don Cherry grimacing like, oh no, we're going in the box and here comes that Montreal power play. Peter McNabb was the Boston Bruin that served that penalty. The too many men... Cherry sends Peter McNabb in to serve that one. The other one, and th- this is interesting because, and I think I've mentioned this on the program before, maybe on the podcast with Elliot. Um, there are just some teams that don't do deals with each other. Right? They have seldom done deals. And some of them you understand and they're obvious. Like seldom, if ever, although there have been some instances, uh, have the Calgary Flames and Edmonton Oilers got together on a deal. Ditto for some of the New York area teams. Ditto for the Quebec Nordiques and the Montreal Canadiens. Those are always, those are obvious. But maybe it just goes back to because they played in the same, you know, Adams division, for example. The Buffalo Sabres and the Boston Bruins have never done deals. They really haven't. Um, but Peter McNabb was part of the first deal between these two teams. He was drafted by the Buffalo Sabres, by the way, and he found his way to Boston. Uh, he was a restricted free agent who signed with the Boston Bruins. Um, and also at the same time, Andre Savard had signed with the Buffalo Sabres, and it was ruled that they became the compensation for one another. And that was the first deal between those two teams. That was 1976. The next time the Boston Bruins and the Buffalo Sabres did a deal together was 2009, and that was the Danny Paye deal. That's just how much these two teams stayed away from each other. One of the uh, the great, almost unspoken rivalries in the history of the NHL. Anyway, back to Peter McNabb. Um, it's always good when you can go through an entire career in an industry like hockey, and at the end, uh, when you come to your conclusion, nary a person will say a bad thing about you, and that was Peter McNabb. I miss him. Everybody here on this show misses him. Everyone in the Avalanche organization misses him. Safe to say we all miss Peter McNabb. Uh, Robert, thanks for sending that one in. Uh, today's random player of the day, Peter McNabb. Great hockey player, great broadcaster, even better person. With that, we'll bring on Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, do you have a thought on, on Peter McNabb? I mean, I'm sure you've had many experiences with uh, with Peter, just like the nicest guy in the world, a great hockey player, an outstanding baseball player, went to Denver on a baseball scholarship. Uh, when I see Peter McNabb's name, Fridge, before I get into the, the news of the day, what goes through your mind? Well, I just thought he was such a perfect fit for the Bruins. Um, you know, I, that's about the time I, I really remember uh, watching, uh, starting to really watch hockey uh, around the time he went from the Sabres to the Bruins. And uh, I just remember as, as, I, as I started to watch the Bruins and realize what they were and what their identity was, just how such a perfect fit um, 
you know, he was for that team. I think one of the things is, you know, as we get older, Jeff and new generations start watching hockey, I think it's impossible for them to really understand what the NHL was like at that time. Um, that they had to ban bench-clearing brawls because that's kind of the way the league was. That um, you had, there was no room for anybody in the NHL who didn't have uh, great intestinal fortitude. Like there was nowhere to hide on the ice. Um, the game now is so different from the game then, and a lot of good things have happened. I'm not complaining, believe me. But I, I just, whenever you bring up a name like his, and I think of the way he played, I just think about how far we've come from, or how much has changed from when Peter McNabb was carving his name as one of the great players in the NHL, and say a player now who carves his name as one of the great players in the NHL. It's so amazing to me. You know, that, that is really, I was thinking about this a, a few weeks ago. I was actually going to bring it up on the podcast and like many things, I wrote it down and then forgot about it when I started talking to you. <laughs> but now that you bring it up, I, I was, I have, I was I'm wondering. I'm very spellbinding. I totally understand how that happens. <laughs> oh, yeah, so it's just, yeah. You're just, just magical talking to you. It's, I'm, I'm teleported <laughs> to a different universe. Um, I, because I, I have this, I have this thing where if you could grant me, you know, any wish, you know, what you know, for for one day you could do anything. I've always said I'd like to be able to be inside of someone else's head. I'd like to see the world in through someone else's eyes to understand how someone else's brain works. A lot of people say, "Oh, I want to see what it feels like to fly or to be able to, you know, to 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 swim without, you know, to 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 to, to be able to swim and not have to not have to breathe." Like a lot of people will say that. I've always wanted to be in someone's head, and I can only imagine what even my kids, you know, look at hockey when we grew up. And just the visual of seeing players without helmets, like what goes through their their head when they look back at hockey? Because we just grew up with it, right? Like, okay, well, that's hockey. Uh, and just sort of what goes through their minds when they see players and they see their hair and there's no visor on, there's no helmet on. Uh, there's a lot of other different things about the game too. You mentioned all the fighting and the bench clearing brawls. I've always wondered about that. Like, what do kids think of when they look back at hockey when we grew up, Elliot? You know, I have a few things to say after that soliloquy. Number one, you have terrible wishes. Number two, you are surrounded <laughs> by really strange people. Who, with given one wish, would say, "I want to know what it's like to swim without needing to breathe." Like seriously, you don't know yeah. anybody whose one wish yeah. would be that. There's no way. Not I would. When I was oh, a kid, wow. okay. when I was a kid, okay. that's what I wanted. When I wanted that, well, I've okay. always wanted to scuba dive, and I've I've never learned. I've always wanted to. Oh, you've never done scuba diving? Never. I've always wanted. It's on my wish list. It's 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 on that's my list, Preach. I've always wanted to scuba dive. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. But anyway, I mean, like that's the thing. Like, I, like there have been players. Like one of the questions I ask, I, I like watching players now. Well, it's kind of changed a little bit now that we're older because it's gone through a couple generations. But when I first bro- <clears throat> broke in, Jeff. One of the questions I would ask is, now that you have kids, once they were old enough, did they Google you or did they YouTube you? And what did they say? Like, I remember when I did an interview with Al Arbor years ago, um, you know, he was talking about how his grandkids started telling him 
that they were YouTubing him or looking up his videos on online and, and he didn't know how to do it. And I went after the interview was over, I went to his home computer with his wife, Claire, and uh, I showed him how to use YouTube. And so he was like blown away, but it was a really uh, cool moment in my career, really. But I, I, I think about that. Like I used to ask that question a lot and, and guys would laugh. Like they would say, their kids would would look at their videos or highlights. And I'm trying to remember anyone in specific, but I really can't. And but their their kids would look at their videos and they would like, Dad, is this you? Like that's you? And uh, <laughs> because they would have done things that they would tell their kids, you're not allowed to do that. So it it really is yep. something when when you think like you take a look at all the sports like I like I'm baseball. I don't think it's really changed a lot except the the full the philosophy of how the game is played, the shifting, uh, yes. no starting pitchers, yep. picks nine innings anymore. Like football changed a lot. It's gone from three yards in a cloud of dust to a passing game. The NBA has also changed mm-hmm. hugely, but I don't think any sport has changed as much as hockey has in the terms of the way it's played. And I think it's an incredible thing to mm-hmm. think about, really. Uh, it really is. Here's another incredible thing to think about. Well, first of all, today is... Here's how I'm going to frame this. So whichever game starts first tonight between the Oilers and the Ducks or the Sharks and the Kings, that will signal the official halfway point of the season. Whichever puck hits the ice first, whether it's the Oilers game or the Kings game, that's going to be the halfway point. So here we are. You know, we've watched half the season. That's enough mm-hmm. runway to see trends and start to make our minds up either about teams or about players or situations. What is the one thing for Elliot Friedman that you are prepared to say you are 100% certain of at this point in the season? At some point, Edmonton's going to add a defenseman. That, that would be my absolute certainty. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a few times on the pod. You mentioned it on Hockey Night in Canada. This is the left side defender that we believe Ken Holland is searching. The names we've looked at are Vladislav Gavrikov, uh, Joel Edmondson, who has still another year of term, so there's not really a lot of pressure from Montreal to do it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, how uh, how aggressive do you think Ken Holland is being right now? Or, just by because of cap purposes, does he kind of have to wait until trade deadline and more money comes off the books? I think he's, uh, Jeff, I think he's being aggressive in trying to determine who it is that they will target. Like, I think, I think the Oilers are sitting there saying, okay, what are our options, and let's identify them. I, I think they're being aggressive on that. I think they're also being aggressive in asking what is the kind of player that they want. Like, one of the things I've heard that they have talked about is we have to make sure we get somebody who can make plays and make passes. Like, they are a team that the key is being very good in transition. And – you know, one, one, of, one of the things that someone said to me at one point was, and this was a guy on another team, he said, if you're Edmonton and you're getting somebody who bangs the puck off the glass, and he wasn't talking about anybody in particular, just in general, but he said that sometimes when we have these conversations, we don't do a good enough job of talking about stylistic fits. Like, what is a player or who is a player that makes stylistic sense for a team? And he said, if you're in Edmonton and you're talking about trading for a D, you better be talking about someone who can, if he's on the ice at the same time as a McDavid 
or a dry sidle, you can put the puck on their stick. And I think that's something that Edmonton yep. is considering too, is, is we better make sure we get a player who fits with what we need and a player who just doesn't knock it off the glass all the time. I do agree with you. I don't think it's something that's like imminent or in a, they're, in, they're imminent to do. I think there's a couple things going on. You know, first of all, what's one of my regular lines? If you're, if you're struggling, they don't throw you a life preserver. They throw you an anvil. I think Edmonton's going to be oh, yeah. very they're going to be extremely careful about that. And that's why I think that although it will happen, it may not happen as quickly as some Edmonton fans would like. You know, that's really interesting that you had mentioned that nature of the, the nature of the defender that they're looking for, because I look back at the Oilers and uh, I want to get to, to the Maple Leafs and the Predators here in a second. But I look back at the uh, the Oilers vintage around, you know, Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle and a really young and just breaking in Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And the the one thing about that team was I don't know if we ever got to understand how good those young forwards are because there weren't enough defensemen that could move the puck up to them. And by the time the game was halfway over, about halfway done, the game itself was done. So we never had, like, I don't think we ever saw what we saw, certainly in New Jersey, with someone like Taylor Hall or someone like Jordan Eberle. Like, I I don't think that we saw the best of those players just because of what you're talking about. There weren't blue liners to move the puck up to them in the neutral zone. And I think it's I think it's actually a very reasonable question to ask, and probably something that we don't uh, take enough. Um, the, we we don't take enough of uh, we don't take enough stock of like like one of the things like I'm look I'm, yeah, I'm looking at one of the things with this year with um, uh, I'm looking at one of the things this year with uh, Yarn Croak in Toronto, and you know Yarn Croak didn't work last year in Calgary. And That's right. so when they signed him, you know, I, I was thinking, okay, especially to a, the big term they signed him to, Jeff. Like, I, I was looking at it and saying, why do they think this is going to work? Um, you know, why do they think that after it didn't work in Calgary, it's going to work for multiple years in Toronto? And, you know, I think one of the things they kind of looked at, Jeff, was... <coughs> Excuse me. The difference of coming in as a rental, or at, versus the difference of coming in signed, and also, you know, is he better as the center or is he better as a winger? And we'll see where this goes. But sometimes I think you have to take a look at, you know, just aside from oh, this guy's available, this team should go get him. You know, is are you putting the person and the team in the best possible position to succeed? So maybe you think Ken Holland looks for someone with term then? Like this isn't someone I, I who's think, coming in as a rental. This is a player on our team. I I would think that that would be the preference, but I don't think that that's a guarantee. Like, look, like if you look at the prices that these teams are going to be asked to pay, it yeah. sounds like it's going to be a lot. I bet you. Now, I again, we've talked about this, and we'll see if this is real. Some of the teams are saying that the prices are outrageous and we're going to hold out until they, they think there's going to be more sellers than buyers. So they think they're going to be able to outweigh some people here, but people say that every year. And then at the end, they, they capitulate as Harry Sinden would say. 
Oh, we will not capitulate. Wow, going back to the 94-95 lockout. Good for you for dragging up that old one. Uh, we will <laughs> never capitulate. Um, oh, that's very hip. Good for you, Elliot. Um, okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I got all the hip Toronto references. Nas- I know, references from 90. 90- the most current reference you've made is from 94. Well done. Um <laughs> No Austin Matthews tonight for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, something nagging. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I wondered if at the beginning of the season when... I, I wondered if he was okay when it seemed as if Austin Matthews wasn't taking a lot of one-timers or as many yeah. one-timers as we've seen before. I said to myself, is some is he just profoundly... Is he just like not in a position to take one-timers anymore? That lane is getting covered off. I don't know. Um, he's trying to change up his game, or is there something wrong or something bothering him? Do you, from the best of your knowledge, what can you glean from what's up with Austin Matthews? I do think I, I think we talked about it earlier this year, but I, I do think like I didn't know before this morning if this was the same thing that we were kind of hearing, um, uh, as opposed to um, was it anything new? But the fact that Keith said it's lingering there definitely was something bothering him uh early in the year i think a few of us have wondered if he's got some kind of like hand or wrist thing but we don't know that and i'm I'm sure we're not gonna uh, get much intel on that but there's definitely been something that's been bothering him for some time and a few of us have suspected it's in that area but we don't know for sure Okay, we will see. How would the uh, how is, I want to talk, we've talked a lot about the Maple Leafs. So I want to get your thoughts on Nashville. Uh, we'll see them tonight. Scotia Bank Wednesday night hockey. It's the Maple Leafs and the the Nashville Predators. Uh, you've talked about them looking for uh, another center. Um, you know, this is a, this is this has always been an interesting team. You know, we almost you know wrote them off a couple of years ago and thought the Poyle was going to, you know, trade everybody. And then UC Saros, you know, made a made a heart trophy case for himself and got the team to the playoffs. And it seems that, you know, this is a team that, you know, their, their legacy really, going back to the Barry Trotz days, their legacy is they're always a competitive team and they don't want to yeah. take any steps backwards, even though it seems at times they've kind of been close. How do you see the Preds right now? Well, I, I, I think that, at the beginning of the year, like I, I get that sense too. Like they've never been a team that seems to me to be too interested in tearing it down and starting over. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's a big thing with them uh, is that they've never kind of had that philosophy. So I, a, a lot of my feelings about them are kind of shaped by that. Um I think this year, at the beginning of the season, when you, uh, Saros was off to a really poor start, he settled himself down. I, I think that's obviously huge for them. He's critical to what they do or don't do. But, you know, I think the other things, too, our, our interview guy, McDonough, um, you know, when he's been in and he's been out, they've been a very different team. So I think that's really helped uh, the situation, too. Um, you know, the other thing I, I really do feel is, you know, they, they, they've got to get some new blood into that lineup. And I was talking to some of the veteran players today, and they were looking at Novak, and they were looking at Glass, and they were looking at Carrier, even though, you know, he's kind of in his second full year. And they were just saying that they needed some, some, some young blood. 
And uh, I think they finally feel that they've got some young players there who don't have to be the stars on the team. Like, that's Yossi and that's Forsberg, and they can handle that. Um, but they feel that they needed to make contributions. And those guys, they definitely feel, have made some contributions this year. I think the other thing they just said, mm-hmm. too, this morning, Jeff, is at the beginning of the year, they weren't scoring. They weren't scoring enough goals to win. Now they are. And yeah. it's funny how that works. When you get saves and you score goals, you win in this league. By the way, I have to say, uh, yes. Co- Cody Glass, I, I got the – I was a fan of you growing up today. That's always a tough one. Uh, I love him. I, there's um, there, there's one very specific reason that I don't want to get into that I really have always cheered for Cody Glass. I'm a big, going back to his Western Hockey League days. I am a big fan, and I really – you know, they're just some, what's our old saying? You don't cheer for teams, but you cheer for people. I really want yep. Cody Glass to be successful in the NHL. And now maybe even more than ever. If he can make you feel old or older than you already are. I was a big fan of yours growing up. Oh, see kids, don't, younger players and younger people don't understand how much of a dagger that is. That when you get to your first, <laughs> I was a big fan of yours growing up. You, you're intending Terrible. it as a compliment. You're intending it as a compliment, but it ain't being received that way. I assure you, young man. <laughs> Man, I'm a I'm a big fan of Cody Glass. I want him to to really do well. Um, a couple of quick hitters here to wrap up. Uh, tough one for the Calgary yep. Flames, um, squandering the lead again. You wonder about Jacob Markstrom, Robert Thomas with the uh, with the OT heroics. Four three is the final score. They'll play St. Louis again tomorrow. But from what we saw yesterday, and again, Jacob Pelche did not play in the game last night. If you didn't watch it, uh, your thoughts on what we saw from the Flames last night? They drop one to the St. Louis Blues. Four three. You know, I'll tell you this. You know, at what at what point here do you really start to worry about Markstrom? Um, like I that worried was about the him thing last got, night, bud. I did. I worried about him last yeah, night watching that. Yeah, you know, like I'm I'm watching this last night, and you know, Calgary was playing well. I I, I thought they had that game. Uh, I I thought you know, as in as in control as you have games in the NHL these days, really. But I thought, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, they were in a really good place there, and you know those those were two that Markstrom <laughs> you think he's going to have. And um, again, I, I don't I don't blame it on one guy. I don't, but I was watching that last night, and I was like, ooh, like that's that's not the Jacob Markstrom I know. And uh, you know, Calgary. I mean. Calgary's getting points. They're they're like they're, whatever they're whatever they're doing. You know, they're they're. I think they've lost more games in overtime and shootout than any other team in the league this year. And uh, so, like, that's usually a good omen of how you're playing. But they're, yeah. like, I'm watching Nashville. Nashville's up off the mat. You know, you're giving St. Louis life by giving them that extra point. That's that's the thing I'm looking at. Like, what's happening here in overtime that the Flames are giving up these extra points? So I, I, mm-hmm. I last night I was looking at Markstrom and I was worried and I was thinking, you know what what's going on there? You know the Pelche thing. I wrote about. I made a brief note about it today. I guess that's really yeah. starting to pick up some uh, momentum overall. Like just to talk about. <laughs> the Flames and uh, their prospects. Um, 
this is I, I, like I think Phillips came up and um, he didn't really get much of an opportunity, and Pelche's come up and you know he's he sat for two games. I, I like I have to say I, I find it a little bit concerning, just because I, I think and, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Jeff. I really believe you have to tell your top prospects there's a path for you here. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that this is the case or anything like that. I, I don't have any reason to believe it's the case. But they've got a really good prospect in, in Harvard. And the only thing in Coronado, and the only thing yeah. I'm just thinking about from an organizational point of view is, is there any reason he's going to look at this and say, you know what, like, um, am I not sure about this? And I think that's the thing that if you're from a Flames organizational point of view, you've got to make sure, first of all, you've got to, like the Zaris and the Wolves and the Pelches, you've got to make them think they've got a chance to play. But the other thing is, like the Coronado coming, you've got to make sure he's not thinking or his agent isn't thinking, um, do I have any reason to be concerned here? It's funny, I got a text from someone yesterday asking about Matt Coronado specifically and saying, is this going to end up being Adam Fox 2.0? Now, my instinct to that is no. Uh, I, I, I can't see that, I but that is so. interesting that you bring that up. I don't think so either. Look, it's just, I, I think the Flames it's, it's, did a lot of it's, it's work Harvard on that. It's Harvard too, right? It's Harvard too. Yeah. It's Harvard as well. I think the Flames, I don't, I don't I think think the so Flames did a lot of work on that. A lot of work on that beforehand. Um, real quick, uh, Seattle Kraken. So they win again last night. Uh, yeah, I looked at the schedule at the beginning of the month. What I always try to do is look at the team schedule at the beginning of the month. And okay, who's got a tough week? Who's got a tough month? You know, mm. the Seattle Kraken this month, they should not be doing this. Okay. You look at their yep. month last week, four games. They sweep all four this week. They have four games Thursday against Boston might be the most anticipated game of the week. Uh, they got four games this week, and they have four games in the third week, and then they trail down to three games in the fourth week of this month. They should not be running the table like this. Like, January is not set up for Seattle to do well, but not mm-hmm. only are they doing well, they're winning every single game. I mentioned the game Thursday uh, in Boston where bo- the Boston Bruins don't lose, but Seattle's on this heater right now. Just do you have a thought on what we're seeing from the Kraken? Four games last week, four games this week, four games next week. The schedule is brutal for Seattle. Yeah. Well, I was look- I was talking because Ed Olchick's in uh, Toronto today because, uh, um, you know, Sportsnet's got the broadcast tonight, but so does that smaller company, TNT. They're also doing the, uh, the game tonight. <laughs> um, and uh, yes. so... You know, he was talking that they're doing really well. And, but after Boston, they go home. They have Monday afternoon against Tampa. And then they've got to go up to Edmonton on Tuesday night. That's a, Edmonton. Well, that's a, that's a really tough back-to-back in terms of travel and everything. So, so the thing is, yeah. like, you can't help but be impressed, Jeff. Like, really impressed. And, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that, like, I don't think they're exactly like the Islanders were when they were at their best. But they, they definitely have a system that they trust. And they have, they've bought into, we need to play a certain way to win. Like, I, I think you look at the roster right now and you look at, okay, the goaltending, is it perfect? No. But it's getting the job done. The D, is it perfect? Yeah. No. But it's getting the job done. 
the the forwards is a perfect no. I I think they're really looking for a center uh, and a center they can keep for a while. But you know they're they're greater than the sum of their parts, and I think those guys deserve a lot of credit. Thursday, Boston Bruins, Seattle Kraken, uh, book that one. Who said that would be the – if the beginning of the season you said that's going to be the most anticipated game on the schedule this week, uh, you would have been laughed out of the room, but there we are. Uh, all right, Freach, we'll, uh, we'll check in soon. Don't forget tonight's Maple Leafs and the Predators on Sportsnet, uh, the Ducks and the Oilers on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet West. Thanks, Freach. All right, buddy. Take care. Have a great day. And, Jeff, I was a sure. huge fan of yes, yours sir. growing up. <laughs> hey man, switch to a vape pen. You're coughing too much with those cigarettes, Elliot. Thanks, <laughs> bud. Elliot Friedman for Thirty Two Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, big fan of his growing up. Big fan of his growing up. That's a great line by Cody Glass. Oh, just the daggers. Uh, I was a big fan of yours growing up. Uh, thanks, kid.